Well, tonight we're going to be looking at the whole book of 2 John. So you want to turn in your Bibles to 2 John. And before you panic thinking we're looking at a whole book, we're going to be here all night. 2 John is the shortest book in the Bible. The second shortest book in the Bible. Only shorter uh, book is 3 John. Um, so last time we were together, a few, a few weeks ago, we finished up his longer letter, 1 John. And if you remember in that book for, of 1 John, he challenged his readers, including, including all of us, in some major areas of faithfulness. That's really his teaching letter of these three. He challenged us in our love for God and our love for each other. He challenged us to hold on to what's true. Um, he challenged us to walk in the light, to choose faithful obedience. And now these second two letters in the set are really personal letters aimed at living those things out in a specific situation. And so we're going to read this, uh, this brief book together of Second John. Um, note at the very start who it's written to. Uh, it says, to the chosen lady and her children. And there's been debate over the years of, of what does that really mean? Is there really, is there really one woman in her family that he's writing to? Probably not. He's probably writing to a specific church community that he calls a lady, the bride of Christ and her children, the, the members of that church community. So most likely he's writing to, uh, to a specific church community. Let's read what he has to say to them. He says, the elder to the chosen lady and her children, whom I love in the truth. And not only I, but also all who know the truth because of the truth, which lives in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son that will be with us in truth and love. It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. And now, dear lady, I am not writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. Many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what you have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take him into your house or welcome him. Anyone who welcomes him shares in his wicked work. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your chosen sister send you their greetings. Well, back when I was in grade school, one of the major pieces of equipment on the playground was the teeter-totter. Okay, there was, I remember on my grade school playground, there's a whole string, I think eight of them in a row, right? I don't think you find them in playgrounds anymore because uh, as I learned, they can be a source of great joy and fun and also a source of great pain, Right? Any of you who have ever been on a teeter-totter know what my brother taught me. I have a brother who was, who was older and larger than me. So when we got on the teeter-totter, of course, he sank down and I sank up. 
and being the big brother that he was, he enjoyed taunting me as I stuck up there. And, and when he wanted to let me down, he did so in a rather dramatic fashion. You know how that works. You've had it done, right? He jumped off and I crashed down to the ground. I learned a lot of lessons from Matita Totter about brothers, but also about balance. And this book of Second John is really about balance in their lives. John is trying to teach this young first century church the same lesson about balance that my brother taught me on the teeter-totter. You see, their spiritual life was really quite good. And he affirms a lot in this brief letter, doesn't he? They believed, they loved, they obeyed all the things that he wrote about in, in 1 John. They were doing pretty well with. But there was one area where they were getting out of balance. And the imbalance was coming between their love and their truth. You see, they rightfully, this, this community, this church, rightfully heard the call of Jesus to love that John, John said again and again. Right? If you ever read the Gospel of John, if you read his letters, you know he is the one that calls us to love again and again and again, more clearly than anybody else. And they heard that call. Right, that love is that cornerstone to the Christian life. It's a major point in 1 John that you remember he said, Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Whoever loves must also love his brother. Right? And this church took that call to heart. They were showing love. And yet they were doing so at the expense of truth. They were putting more weight on the side of love, of, uh, on this teeter-totter of life, while the truth side was the lightweight. And truth began to, to balance up here precariously, waiting to come crashing down. Okay, their spiritual life between love and truth was dangerously out of balance. And here's how it happened. Okay, a little, little history lesson here. Back in the first century here, church was done quite differently than how we do church today. Okay, they didn't have big congregations like ours. They didn't have full-time pastors like we have today. Instead, what would happen is when Paul or one of the apostles you know, would travel town to town, they'd establish a, a small church in that city, and, and, and it would be a small house church, and they'd keep these, these communities small, gathering in people's homes. And while the apostles were there in that city, they would raise up and train an elder to give church leadership to that small community. And then the apostle would move on to the next city, bringing the word of God to the next place. In the meantime, those small communities would, would continue to gather and examine the word of God, the truth that they had been taught by the apostle. And, and the elder would do his best to guide them and teach them. And every once in a while, one of these traveling teachers would come to town. Remember how Paul traveled and he went back through the city and, and there were other teachers who would come through and these teachers would then, would then help answer the questions that the elder would remember, the questions that they were confused about would help, help encourage and challenge that congregation once again. Okay, and understand this too, that in that day and age, there were no Motel 6s for these traveling teachers and preachers to stay in. Tom Baudet was not leaving the light on for them in these days. In fact, the whole system, that there was an in system in that first century, and it was a very bad system. 
You didn't want to stay in an inn if you could avoid it because most inns were in the dangerous place of town right next to the brothel and, and most innkeepers were, were mostly crook rather than host. And so these traveling teachers, these Christian teachers would avoid the inn system and instead they would stay as guests in the homes of, of these newly born Christians. Right? That's why you hear so often in scripture preaching of hospitality, right? inviting others into your home. It was such an important ministry. It was a ministry of love that was necessary in those days. Okay, so this church that he's writing to, we don't know exactly which city it's found in, but this church was excellent at expressing its love through hospitality. They eagerly took in these traveling teachers and these traveling preachers. The problem was that not everybody who labeled themselves as a traveling Christian teacher was actually a Christian teacher. It didn't take long in the first century for for the con men of the century to realize that, that they could live a pretty good life by pretending to be a Christian teacher. They play the role and they, they get places to stay. They can live a pretty good life. And on the other hand, there were some, some people who were teaching other than what the apostles taught. They, they were maybe teaching mostly truth, but then they would, they would contradict what's really true. And they were being welcomed into these homes as well. In fact, John in this passage in verse 7 points out you know, a common heresy in, in that first century. He wrote this, verse 7, he says, Many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. And he, such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Okay, they've gone out into the world, meaning they've gone into your city. They're coming into your home. They're coming to visit you. They're deceivers. They were denying the full deity of Jesus. Yet they were still being welcomed. They were still being honored in the name of Christian love and hospitality. Okay, John's saying that the truth of Jesus is teetering dangerously and helplessly here, held captive by the imbalanced life of love without discernment. So John's goal is to get their spiritual eyes back into balance again. And that balance starts with them knowing the truth with us knowing the truth and knowing its importance. Okay, John recognizes he needs to, to add weight to the true side of the teeter-totter. And so he does it in the first four verses. Did you notice as we read those first four verses that the word truth comes up five times in four verses? That's kind of a rule of thumb when you're reading scripture, when you're reading the Bible and you're reading in your devotions. If you see a single word come up again and again and again, Pay attention. There's a reason for that. In fact, I'm in the habit often, uh, if I have my pencil with me, and if that word comes up, I'll, I'll circle that word. And you see, okay, in four verses, the same word five times. Take note. Be aware. Okay, so, so he says, I'm, I'm putting weight here on truth. Pay attention. We're going to talk about truth here. Even as I affirm your love, we're talking about truth because truth is important, he's saying. Truth is what we experience. The truth is what binds us together. Truth is the basis upon which this community right here today is built, isn't it? It's the truth we just proclaimed with the Apostles' Creed. That's what binds us together. 
That's what brings us together. That's what holds us together. That truth, knowing that truth is important. And yet, don't you think that we become a society that's weak on truth? We're often led by, by emotion, right? We're swayed by, by emotion that blows here or there. Doctrine is out, experience is in, right? Thinking is out, feeling is in. Don't get me wrong, experience and feeling are, are important. Emotion is important. The Holy Spirit moves often through, through that kind of emotion, but, but so is thinking, <laughs> so is doctrine, so is studying, so is learning. We have to discern this truth. We have to know God. We have to know Jesus. We have to know the truth. Without truth, our spiritual lives, our spiritual lives, not just theirs, teeter in balance precariously. And when, with any teeter-totter, when you're imbalanced, a painful crash is on the way. So this first century church showed us that weak truth leads to soft love. They were obeying Jesus' command to love. There wasn't a more hospitable community than theirs. But the problem was they were acting in love without a foundation of truth. So they opened their doors. They opened their arms. They opened their hearts and their minds to anyone and everyone. Teachers and deceivers alike. Their love was too soft. Right? They needed to hear verse 6. So John says to them, I ask that we love one another, and this is love. Now catch the surprising definition of love. He doesn't say love is a, a warm, fuzzy feeling or a sappy emotion or making someone feel good. He says, this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. Not exactly what uh, I think we expect a definition of love to be. Not exactly what this world would expect a definition of love to be. But he makes it clear that, that true love is action based on truth. It is not loving to simply allow someone to keep living out a lie. When we know the truth, then we'll be able to truly act in love. You see, loving actions rooted in truth are not always necessarily going to be actions that bring about warm fuzzies. Right? Love balanced by truth is sometimes tough love. Right? A life of love balanced by truth will know where to open those doors, as John and his community talk about, and, and, and where to shut those doors. That's why John can call them in verse 5 to, to love. Right? Verse 5, come on, love each other. And in verse 10, and turn that traveler away. Refuse to take that guy in. Those two can go side by side. His obedience to God means being holy. Right? It means to be continually transformed into the image of God as we talked about this morning. And obedience may mean closing the door. It may mean, specifically for us, it may mean saying no to a person, a situation, an invitation that you know would lead you away from holiness and away from the truth of God. It, mean, it may mean saying no to the gift that's given when you know you shouldn't take it. Saying no to the movie that everybody else is talking about. It may mean saying no to the invitation to the party. It may mean saying no to the lifestyle that everybody else is living. Right? These first century Christians needed to learn to say no, no. But they couldn't. 
And so they embraced the deception. They embraced the evil, really the deception, the deceivers. They filled their homes and hearts with teachings that went against the truth of God. That wasn't love for God because it wasn't obedience to his commands. And it wasn't love for each other either. It would have been more loving to these false teachers to refuse them hospitality rather than to invite them in and pretend like nothing's wrong. We need to remember that love is not defined as whatever makes them feel good, right? And letting them in made them feel good, gave them what they wanted. True love is rooted in God's commands and our desire that they experience the truth of God for themselves, right? So it probably would have been more loving to say, no, let me challenge you on the deception that you're teaching here. And yet our society, like this early church, most often believes in a soft kind of love. Our society sees love as a door that's always open, right? Love accepts anything. It never says no, never punishes, never corrects, never disciplines. In our world to say that something is wrong is unloving, right? You're unloving if you say something is wrong. For a parent to deny a child anything that she wants is seen as unloving now. For God not to accept everyone whether you're Hindu, Muslim, New Age, or atheist, for God not to accept everyone is unloving of God, right? It's a soft love, but our world's understanding of love is wrong. Love which is balanced by the truth of God isn't just this open door, but it's a door that does have hinges, hinges, it opens and closes. To the evil influences and the agents of Satan, that door is shut. That's the loving thing to do. It's loving towards God as we protect the holiness within us. We won't put ourselves in places of temptation. We won't put ourselves in places where Satan's lie will deceive us and weaken the truth of God in us. That is obedience and love for God. But it's also love for those that Satan has deceived. It's a tough love that won't encourage them and empower them in their deception. It's tough love that will hopefully open up their eyes, open up their hearts to truth and grace. The loving thing sometimes is to close the door, to help them find the way to the truth and the life in Jesus Christ. I think a lot of Christians today, a lot of us as Christians have bought into the open door policy of our society. We sacrifice truth for love And we're living imbalanced lives. We don't dare speak up against ungodliness because we might be labeled as radical or rigid or unloving. So we let our door swing in the breeze of public opinion, right? We take no stand in the name of being loving, but in reality, suppressing the truth, not letting it be heard is one of the most unloving things we can do. And even as I say that, we must also be careful not to promote truth at the expense of love either. If our teeter-totters become imbalanced the opposite way, with with truth heavy and, and love light, then our truth will grow harsh. Many of us know people like that in our lives. Probably see them on Facebook all the time, right? People who champion the truth with a harsh and bitter spirit. People who use the truth of God as a weapon to harm others. 
people whose truth drives people away from God instead of pulling it towards him. God doesn't tell us to slam the door of love on everyone who doesn't believe like we do. To those intent on deceiving us, yes, we shut the door. But to the deceived, to the victims of Satan's lies, we we keep that door open and we reach out with both truth and love. Our love isn't too soft. Our truth isn't too hard. But John urges for these first century Christians, balance, balance truth and love. Carefully discern the truth of what's being taught and dare to respond in love in Jesus' name. It's exactly what you and I still need to do today. You know, years ago, somebody wrote, wrote the story of a stranger that was welcomed into their home. Um, I thought I'd read it for you tonight about how truth and love can become imbalanced in these relationships. How we can be deceived when we don't discern truth. Here's, here's this person's story. It, says it, it will relate to those who are 40 and older. You might have experienced this. A few months before I was born, my dad met a stranger who was new to our small town. From the beginning, dad was fascinated with this enchanting, enchanting newcomer and soon invited him to live with our family. The stranger was quickly accepted and was around to welcome me into the world a few months later. As I grew up, I never questioned his place in our family. Mom taught me to love the word of God and dad taught me to obey it. But the stranger was our storyteller. He could weave the most fascinating tales, adventures, mysteries, comedies were daily conversations. He could hold our whole family spellbound for hours each evening. He was like a friend to the whole family. He took dad and Bill and me to our first major league baseball game. He was always encouraging us to see the movies. He even made arrangements to in- introduce us to several movie stars. The stranger was an incessant talker. Dad didn't seem to mind. But sometimes mom would quietly get up while the rest of us were enthralled with one of his stories of faraway places. And she'd go to her room, probably to read her Bible, maybe pray. I wonder now if she ever prayed that the stranger would leave. You see, my dad ruled our house with, a cert- with certain moral convictions, but the stranger never felt the obligation to honor them. Profanity, for example, was not allowed in our house, not from us, not from our friends or adults. Our longtime visitor, however, used occasional four-letter words that burned my ears and made dad squirm. To my knowledge, the stranger was never confronted. My dad was a teetotaler, didn't permit alcohol in the home. But the stranger felt like we needed exposure and enlightened us to other ways of life. He offered us a beer, other alcoholic beverages often. He made cigarettes look tasty, cigars manly, and pipes distinguished. He talked freely, much too freely about sex. His comments were sometimes blatant, sometimes suggestive, generally embarrassing. I now know that my early concepts of the man-woman relationship were influenced by this stranger. As I look back, I believe it was the grace of God that, by the grace of God, that the stranger did not influence us more. Time after time, he opposed the values of my parents that he was seldom rebuked and never asked to leave. More than 30 years have passed since the stranger moved in with my young family on Morningside Drive. 
But if I were to walk into my parents' den today, you'd still see him sitting over in a corner, waiting for someone to listen to him talk, watch him draw his pictures. His name? Well, we knew him by his initials. TV. Now, funny how, how when you go soft on truth, It's so easy to become deceived. It's so easy to step away. We don't have traveling teachers knocking on our doors today looking for a place to stay. There is Motel 6 now, and Tom Bodette is leaving the light on for him. Instead, we have false teachers trying to lead us astray often, and it comes from maybe from the media, maybe from our politicians, maybe from politically correct society all around us, maybe from friends who want to tell us how we should live and what we should do and who we should be. Truth and love, how do we handle them? Each of us needs to evaluate that balance in our lives. Where is it that we've sacrificed truth in the name of love and we've let untruth seep in? We've chosen to live with the lie. And where is it that truth has become harsh? where grace has turned to judgment, where, where love is left hanging out to dry and truth is being used as an excuse for, for hatred and prejudice in our lives. What do we need to do? What do each of us need to do to get our lives back in balance so that we can speak truth with love, so we can fully love with truth? How can you get the teeter-totter of your heart and life back in balance? Let's pray for that. Father God, we do pray for balance in our lives. It's easy for us to slide one way or another. It's so easy for us to to simply be open and loving. Because that way we don't have hard conversations with anybody. We just accept them as they are and, and we just don't speak truth. We ignore the truth, and we move on with our lives. And yet you know the danger of what happens when when those lies seep into our own hearts and our own lives, and they pull us away from you. And we aren't being very loving to the people around us who we let just continue to live in their lives. So Father, don't don't let us go soft on truth in the name of love. And please, on the other extreme, don't let us become harsh with truth. It's easy for us to speak in ways that are judgmental. It's easy for us to stand back and point fingers. Yet that's not what you did, Jesus. You never went soft on the truth, but you always spoke it in love, in grace. Help us never to speak harsh words out of judgment, but to speak truth in love. And we pray that the people we, we share life with would be able to hear that truth well, would be able to know our love for them well. And most importantly, we'd be able to know your love for them well through us. Father, we pray that you would continue to grow us, to be who you want us to be, people who speak truth and live love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you stand with me, please? We're going to finish this service with the same song we finished with this this morning.
Uh, speak, O oh Lord.